Welcome to Chi Alpha at Texas Tech University. The messages in this podcast were designed to encourage you and to challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We're so excited that you're here, and we hope that this message will help you to better fight for God's kingdom with us. There's two types of people in this world, and those people are... I'm writing your name. Those people are... Okay, what else? Pharisees and tax collectors? Red Raiders and not. Okay, what else? The good and the bad people? Okay. What else? Smart and not smart? Okay. All right. I just learned a lot about you by your answer. I took note of what all of you said. I now know what you like to judge people by. Nolan, thank you for your answer. It is typically the most popular one. It's good versus evil. It's the good versus the bad. That is the narrative of, really, it originated with Scripture, but any good story, any good TV show you like, movie you like, they all have, the. they're all really centered on a conflict, right? There's a protagonist and an antagonist. There's the good and there's evil. And it's a narrative that we tend to believe um, about most everything. So you'll see this with people in their politics. Um, not so much with our generation, but especially like your parents or your grandparents. You hear them talk about politics. It's like mind-numbingly horrible because if they're Republican, they think, well, Democrats are totally worthless. Everything they think or believe is totally ridiculous. And Democrats believe the same thing about Republicans. Yeah? If you turn on the news station of one, it really has more bashing of the other than it does of talking about its own cause. Right? It's, it's just ridiculous. And I think that's why a lot of us are like, all right, you need to chill out. Uh, also see this in sports. If you're watching a sporting event and someone is very passionate about their team, they usually have an extreme amount of sports bias. And you know the team that they love because anytime something bad happens to their team, it's because, like, the refs are against them, someone's cheating, like, the wind was blowing too hard, or something crazy. What? Dez caught it. Oh, my word. Cowboy fan. Y'all are the worst. You just... <laughs> now you know my line. Cowboy fans are not going to... But I think my favorite way we see this, and I trust all of you have experienced this in one way or another, is in romantic relationships when somebody gets broken up with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's the best. So, so we're like hanging around with the guys, you know, we're like all hanging out, and one of the guys comes up, and he's just like doting over his girlfriend, telling us how awesome she is. She's so beautiful. She's so funny. She's so cute. She does that little, like, when she laughs. Like, man, she's just the cutest. Like, man, I'm going to marry her one day. And the rest of the guys are like, yeah, all right, bro. We know. Like, we get it. You love her. And then that night, she dumps him. And he comes around the next day. And he's like, guys, you know that girl? Don't even say her name. You know that girl? Man, she was crazy, you know? Like, she wasn't even good looking. She wasn't even funny. She did that annoying snort thing. And you're like, what earth? What are you talking about? Like, just yesterday. Y'all been there? 
Or you ever been that person? I have, I have been that person, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I think it's because we like, to have, we like that narrative of like good versus evil, good versus bad. And good is always relative, which is so funny. And I've noticed, and you probably have too, that good tends to be a biography. Someone's definition of what good is tends to be a biography. When you're drawing a line in the sand of like good people and bad people, you always seem to like, oh, looky there. I'm on the good person side. For me, when before I was walking with Jesus, I totally would have been like, yeah, I'm a good person. That's what people like to say a lot, right? Like, oh, I'm a good person. And if you'd asked me why, I'd have been like, well... I'm respectful, like, I work hard, I haven't killed anybody, you know, I'm like, I'm not crazy, um, you know, but I'm not perfect. It's kind of an answer you'll get from people. And in my answer, I want you to hear that I just gave my definition of a good person. Y'all see that? My reasons, while I don't kill people, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I do these things, therefore, that's what a good person is. And oh, look, I just so happen to fit in that definition. Y'all following me? And I personally have never interacted with someone who right off the bat was like, yeah, I'm a bad person. Maybe you have. Maybe you're an anomaly. Maybe you think that. Um, but I've never come in contact with that. And so it's funny that our definition of good tends to be a biography. And for me, those things I said about me were true. I wasn't an outwardly like evil person. But what I started to come to realize as I started my walk with God was that the sin in my heart really was pride. It really was this like superiority that I felt towards people that essentially every action that I did, the motive behind it was to elevate myself, to make myself look better, essentially. And I was reading this book that wrecked my life. Hopefully you've read it. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's one of the most popular Christian books ever written. If you have not read it, please read it. I'm going to read a handful of things from it tonight. Um, and if it intrigues you, come up to me after and you can have it. So, free. Um, but this is something he said. This is something that, that just like grabbed my heart. And to this day, I can't get over. He says this, that pride is competitive in its nature. That pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more than the next person. So he talks about pride. And, and we'll make a distinction here real quick in case you're like, what, did my mom lie to me? telling me every morning when I get up, like, be proud of who you are. My mom was a liar. That's not what I'm saying. Two different kinds of pride here. So there's a pride that's, that's a good, wholesome example. If you guys, uh, what is, oh, what's that? Is organic chemistry, is that the class that kills everybody? Ochem, that's the class that's like the worst? Okay, that and what? Unless you're a George. <laughs> Asher and Isaiah, they're not even here to hear that day. Oh, where is he? Hey, there he is. Right behind Augustine. I was distracted by the, the glory that comes off of Augustine. Saint, new St. Augustine. Uh, but the good kind of pride, there's a good kind of pride that comes, say you're taking O Kim and it's been killing you, and you study your butt off, you put in the hours, you put in the work, you go to tutoring, all this stuff, and you get an A. And it, you're that satisfaction that like, oh, I did it, all right, I worked hard and I was rewarded. Okay? That's not the kind of pride he's talking about. The pride he's talking about is if you're that person, same scenario, and the first thing you think of is, all right, well, I want to check the class average so I can rub it in everyone else's face at how much smarter I am than them. 
right? No one would outwardly do that. This is America 2020. You guys are too holy to do that. But in your heart, if you're like me, you might say that in your heart. You might look at your classmate and be like, oh, you got an 80. Good job, <laughs> idiot. Like walking away in your head like, that guy is not very smart. That's what I do. That's what I Honesty. It's the spirit of honesty in here. It's good. So he says that someone is not proud because they're rich. They're proud because they're richer than the next person. A woman is not prideful because she's beautiful, but because she's more beautiful than the next person. That pride, this type of evil, sinful pride that we're going to talk about tonight, comes from comparison and thinking we are superior to and this is what Lewis says about it. He says it's the essential vice, the utmost evil, pride. Unfaithfulness, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. That is heavy words. Why I felt I had to make a distinction for you. <laughs> It's very heavy stuff. So we like to divide the line between good and bad, or Democrat, Republican, cowboy fans and non-cowboy fans, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. But Jesus actually drew the line, not between good and bad, but Jesus drew the line between humble people and proud people. Those who have humility and those who are prideful. In Luke 18, verses 4 through 9, Jesus tells a parable. And it was Jesus' habit, typically either the, 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 it was typically the last line of this parable of the story, he would give his thesis. He would give the main idea. He'd say, you want to know the point of this story? Here it is. And he told this parable, and this was the point. He said, anyone who exalts himself, right, so this comparison, this pride is puffing up, anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're going to look at this passage. It's like five or six verses or so. And this first time through, I'm actually going to help out. Who's a visual learner in here? I am. Yes. All right. This is for you visual learners. I've got a clip for you from a show about the life of Jesus. It's not from The Chosen. Come on. Let the booze come. Feel free to boo. That's fine. Okay. Who's better? Yes, it is. It is the best. Chosen. Yeah, that show is awesome. If you're not on The Chosen train, there's plenty of seats. Kevin's driving. Get on the chosen train. It's phenomenal. But in the show, yet anyway, they don't have a scene that depicts exactly what we're going to read today. But this scene is literally, it's like almost word for word exactly what's there in Scripture. And to give you some context, some understanding, you need to hear this first. Rob, you got that video ready for me? All right. My man. So this is how Luke, writing this gospel records it. This is our context, okay? For this story you're going to hear. He said that Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and treated everyone else with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other one tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, adulterers, 
or this tax collector. Not a tax collector. Didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Sweet. I love that clip because when Jesus gives the verdict there at the end, I don't know if you heard, there was like a hush that fell over the crowd. There was like a, what? I love it because this, what Jesus says here really is a scandalous parable that he tells. And here's why. We'll give some context there. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, have any friends that are Pharisees or tax collectors. I don't. Um, Mostly because they aren't really around anymore, especially how they were. So, I want to introduce you to them real quick. The Pharisees were religious leaders of the day, all right? And were, were the Pharisees good guys or bad guys? Ah, okay, cool. See, we all buy into this whole good and bad guy narrative thing. It's so funny. If you're honest, I heard a handful of people say bad guys. Yeah, Cullen, myself, KP, we all were like, yeah, the first thing that pops in my head yeah, it's definitely like they're not good. They were opposed, opposing Jesus. They had a very large part in getting Jesus crucified. So like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they're bad guys. And so we tend to build this narrative in our mind that they're like this, you know, they were a trench coat with the cholera with like a curly mustache. Like, <laughs> like there's some villain <laughs> in a comic book or something. And they're just like plotting against it. But these guys were actually really legit. Um, These guys were extremely gifted. To give you an idea of the religious day, to become a Pharisee, here it is. So the entry level was kind of to be a scribe. And a scribe had to write out and memorize the entire law. That's the first five books that we have in our Bible, the Torah. They had to write word for word and memorize it. Okay, that's entry level. Next one up is a lawyer. A lawyer had to memorize the law and to be able to interpret the law. 600 plus laws. They had to know all of them by memory and interpret all of them. Okay? So we've got a scribe, we've got a lawyer, and up here, cream of the crop, the Texas Tech Red Raider, best one, gifted, smart, everything. He had to memorize the law, interpret the law, and live it out perfectly. 600 plus laws. So you can see, you don't, become, you don't become a CEO by being a bum, right? You do not become a Pharisee by being a chump or by being a hypocrite your whole life. That's not how you become a Pharisee. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. These men were given lots of honor in the culture. They were charged, they were the morality police. They were charged with teaching God's law and living out a godly life for all people to follow. And it's so funny because we bash them so much. But Jesus himself, in Matthew 5, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, he praises the Pharisees. 
He says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And righteousness simply means like right action. Are you behaving properly? Are you making the right decisions? Are you doing things that honor God? And Jesus is like, unless your actions and your righteousness, your life exceeds theirs, you're not getting in the kingdom of heaven. It's crazy. So Jesus praises them and he's like, these guys, there's a lot that they get right. There's a lot that they do well. Obviously, they don't get everything, namely the person of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. But Jesus did not see them as insignificant, and neither should we. So those are the Pharisees. And then we've got tax collectors. And the tax collector is exactly who it sounds like. Um, They collected taxes. Rome had occupied the territory, and Rome was a very powerful government, and they were bullies. And so much like if you ever were a bully or had a bully and they're like, give me five bucks at the end of school. And you get to the end of school and they're like, well, now give me 20 bucks. That's kind of what they did. They did whatever they wanted. They abused their power and they needed somebody who knew the ins and outs of the territory they were in. They knew the people. They knew their business. They knew their income to do their dirty work. And so they would find somebody who was one of the group, one of the like citizens, essentially, to come and be the one who collects these taxes that they have to pay or they'll be imprisoned or killed. Okay? And so if you were selected, math major, you're good with numbers, hey, you're going to come and be a tax collector. Now everyone else in the city despises this man because they see him as a traitor. Right? It's like in a small town, if you like left you know, mom and pop grocery store to go work at Walmart, they're all like, what? <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's kind of that same idea. So the tax collectors were despised by everyone else because they were seen as traitors, and they were simply tools or pawns to the Romans. So they were very lonely and appropriate, appropriately named despised tax collectors. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why they were despised? So these are our two characters that Jesus is talking about here, and this is why it's such a scandal. Because if Jesus, the judge, the teacher, then speaking with authority, and you guys were there in that day, and you're like, oh, okay, he's giving a lesson on who's, who's accepted by God and who's not accepted by God, of course you would say, oh, the Pharisee's accepted by God, and the tax collector's not accepted by God. And then Jesus gives his verdict, and it's the opposite. Can you see, this is like earth-shattering stuff. So Luke 18, 9 through 4, we've got it up here on the screen. We'll read through it one more time and pull out a couple things to help us bring it even more to life. That you understand Jesus is not praising the tax collector because he's a tax collector and rebuking the Pharisee because he's a Pharisee. He's rebuking them on the basis of their pride and their humility. So he prefaces it, once again, Luke says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Quick word about that word contempt. Luke only uses that word one other time in his gospel, and it is used to describe the way Herod's soldiers treated Jesus on his way to crucifixion. So he says, They treated Jesus with contempt, i.e. mocked him, whipped him, ripped his beard out, mocked him, all of that stuff. So to treat someone with contempt is not just like a turning your nose up at them. This is, a, is like a visceral hatred for somebody, who they are. And Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for being just that, and it was prophetic. 
because they would be the ones to end up doing it. But he goes on. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stands by himself. He's not going to be near a sinner. He goes to the front of the altar, close to the presence of God, and he prays to God, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give, all, I give tithes of all that I get. <clears throat> you see, his definition of good is a biography. I don't do all these things. Oh, but I tithe everything I get, and I fast twice a week. Two things that were not in the law that he was called to uphold. So he's literally saying, God, I've done everything you've commanded me to and more. You see, he's like leveraging God. He's like, God, look what I have. It's pretty sweet. And then the tax collector. He stands far off, probably at the back. Would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He beat his breast because when he's looking at the presence of God, he's in the temple, he's overcome with a conviction, with a, a contrite, a brokenness over his own sin. In Jewish tradition, the, what the law said is that the heart is wicked above all else. And Jesus affirms this in his preaching, that it's really out of our heart comes lust, greed, murder, all these evil things, they come out of our heart. And these men understood that. <laughs> they really understood that. They didn't get away from their sin. They knew it was in them. And so upon addressing God, he's, he's in pain realizing. And so he beats his chest. He's literally beating where his heart is. It's pretty cool. And then Jesus' dramatic interpretation. I tell you, his judgment. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, which means to be seen as righteous, to be blessed by God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I find it so interesting that Jesus, wanting to give the world, wanting to give us a picture of what it means to be prideful, he chooses a picture of a Pharisee. We talked about them, right? The Pharisee praying. That is not what you would think to be the representative picture of someone who's prideful, right? So this week I looked at that prayer over and over again, and I noticed something, and I've highlighted it up here so you can see it too. When we look at the Pharisee's prayer, he addresses it. He starts off really good. He says, God, that's the end of it. <laughs> there is no more mention of God. There is no more mention of anything other than self, than him. And five times, he says, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This prayer to God that begins with his name and begins with gratitude is obviously not that. It's fake. And so five times, he says, I. And that jumped out to me because when I was reading through this chapter again in this book about pride, C.S. Lewis said it, that it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Now, I don't know if you know the devil's background. He was not always the devil. He was an angel created by God. He is a created being that God has control over. There is no rivalry between them two. 
He's a created being, and like the Pharisee, like all of you in here, was very gifted, very talented. Scholars say he was essentially the worship leader of heaven. <laughs> you just got put in the same boat with the devil, bro. It's okay, I've been there. Story, story for another time. Oh, man. But he was very gifted. And so in reading that, what Lewis said, I was like, man, I'm going to go look back at Isaiah 14. And Isaiah 14 is the account of the devil becoming the devil. It's literally him being an angel and then being cast down into hell. And it's really intense. And it's Isaiah chapter 14. You can read it. And it says the reason he was cast down into hell was because in his heart he said these things. He said, I will ascend into heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I've never noticed it. The Pharisee's prayer is five times he's addressing himself. Five times he's looking to himself. And Jesus says this, this praying Pharisee is a picture of pride. This is a cautionary tale for us and those who are listening. And you look at how the devil fell. And so many times people fall or they walk away from God because they say things like, oh, the pastor didn't preach good messages, the worship music wasn't any good, the room was kind of stuffy. But the devil, his pastor, the one who preached sermons, is literally named truth. When he spoke, galaxies formed. He could not be accused of preaching a bad sermon. The worship team literally was angels. Literally was angels. It wasn't stuffy or it wasn't too cold. It was literally heaven. And in the midst of all of that circumstance, perfect circumstance, he fell. So don't you dare, me and this too, ever blame your circumstance for your sin. It's never the cause. It's never the circumstance. The devil had the perfect circumstances, and yet it says this is what his heart was. I will, and it said it right there in those last words, I will make myself. It seems to me that the motto of hell is I don't need anyone or anything. I can do it myself. Leave me alone. That seems to be the motto of hell, the motto of a prideful person. And sometimes it's clothed in like fancy language so where it like doesn't sound so bad, right? Like the Pharisee, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. That doesn't sound really bad, right? He's like, oh, he said thank you. That's sweet. <laughs> you know? But he obviously was not actually thankful. But hell is just that. It's establishing yourself. And this was when hell was actually created. Did you know that the idea of hell is so offensive to us? Because it was not created for us. Don't know that. Jesus in Matthew's gospel records it. And he says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. The hell was created for rebels. That's literally what the scripture says. And so people always walk around in fear if they're going to go there. And it, my question is very simple. Are you a rebel? Do you not want to be with God? Because hell was created out of mercy for the devil. The devil did not want to be with God, did not want to follow God. And God said, okay, if you don't ever want to be with me, I'll create this place and you'll never have to see me again. 
It's this place called hell. You don't want to be with me? You don't want to follow me? Then here's a place for you. So God is even merciful in hell, creating a hell. Right? We saw it a few weeks ago. Jesus answered the prayer of demons. Like, it's crazy. God is so rich in mercy, and he's not afraid of anybody, especially the devil. We, we tend to think the enemy is this like big, swole thing that God would have to fight when God would just like, like, he's nothing. He's a rebellious teenager who thinks he's better than his parents, who thinks he knows everything. But it's the same for us. If we are prideful and we believe that we can make ourselves, that we don't need anybody or we don't need God, then the destination is the same for us. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to hopefully you're with me in this very simple line of logic <laughs> that if you want to be a rebel and not submit to God and not be a part of his kingdom, then there's a place for you to go. And I don't have to yell it or be, point my finger at you because I think the truth is scary enough. <laughs> that's the reality. And I know that that's not what anyone wants in here. And I don't want that for you. But Lewis says it. He says this pride thing he calls it the essential vice, meaning it's something that everybody deals with. It's like, don't care what you are. Even the tax collector who sent away praise, it's because he looks at God and he says, be merciful, I'm a sinner. Y'all see that? He, he recognizes it and he owns it. And he's like, God, if, if I don't have you, I'm toast. And so let's take, if y'all would with me for a few minutes, take some personal inventory. Look at your own heart. Look at your own mind. And we've got a handful of things here, a list of things to help us see what a prideful person might look like. Because I know you guys don't talk like this Pharisee or talk like the devil. But here are some things that we look like today. This first one, a prideful person says, I deserve so much more than I have. Again, you're too smart and too aware of people to utter that with your lips. But this is a disposition that we can walk around with. That you are more aware of what you don't have than you are of what you actually have. And this person typically is frustrated a lot. If you find yourself frustrated a lot, it's because you don't trust in God's sovereignty. You don't trust that God's in control. And he's running things the way they need to be run. You think you could do it better. You're smarter than God. That's the underlying issue there. Another thing someone might say, I'm a good person. <laughs> That's why God loves me. That's what the Pharisee said, right? The biography. What's your biography? You stand before God. What's your biography? Why are you justified before God? If it's anything other than be merciful to me for I'm a sinner, only you, Jesus, then it's wrong. Then you, have, you are coming to God in pride, and we see that we would be rejected. Another one is that we look at people, you look at other people for your standard. This is a person that is always taking account of where everyone's at. They're looking at where they fall on the totem pole. Whatever group they're a part of, they're making sure they're not on the bottom. And a lot of times people find security in this because if you look long enough, you're going to be better than something or someone in some area if you look long enough. Right? You're not the worst at everything, regardless of if you may think that. So it's comforting to look to other people as your standard because people are really easy to beat <laughs> because we're really not as good as we think we are. <laughs> I'm in that boat as well. This one, this person always needs to know 
What's in it for me? Once again, they'll never say this phrase. You'll never say, hey, what's in it for me? But it manifests itself when you say something like, hey, you want to come over to my house? Hey, we're going to have a small group. And your question is, oh, is there going to be food there? Oh, yeah, I want to go to that. Who else is going? Okay. How, how long do you think it's going to be? There's all these qualifying questions. Does that make sense? <laughs> because we're so protective of our time. We're so, we're so prideful in that way that we're like, I want to spend every moment like I want to spend it. And what we're asking when we ask those questions is, what's in it for me? When I should be able to ask you, if you're my friend, hey, you want to come over and hang out later? Sure. And it shouldn't matter if we're cleaning my toilets or I'm cooking steak. <laughs> it shouldn't matter. I'm saying, I'm your friend. I love you. I want to be with you. You want to be with me. That's it. Right? Because that's God's invitation. <laughs> that's his invitation to us. I want to be with you. You want to be with me? We say, oh God, but it's going to cost me what? That person is a prideful person. And lastly, uh, the person will only submit to select people. You know, if the pastor asks it of me or someone that I look up to or respect asks me to do something, I'll submit to them. I'll serve them. But you've got a long list of people that you're like, man, I'd never give that guy the time of day. I'd buy this guy's meal, but I wouldn't buy this guy's meal. That's pride. That's a comparison. You're making a judgment on somebody else that they are lesser deserving of mercy and of love. You have taken God off the judgment seat and put yourself there. So this theme in the Bible, James, the brother of Jesus, says it in James 4. He says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's a theme all throughout Scripture, and so it gets preached on a lot. And our friend Ravi Zacharias, you all know Ravi? Ravi's amazing. He says this very eloquent and gut-wrenching quote right here. He says, there's a very short distance between the head and neck, and if you stare at your halo long enough, you will reposition it as a noose. So eloquently said. But do you see that picture? And if you're looking up at you see yourself in all these great ways that whatever your biography is, these are all the things that I have to offer God. I'm so great. I've never done this, 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 and I do this, this, this. That stuff, that's your halo. He says, if you look at it too long, it's coming down. And it's going to kill you. And again, Ravi's not saying anything that the scripture doesn't say. It's the story of this Pharisee. It's the story of the devil. And it's the story of so many people. If you want to be a rebel, you can be. But that's your destiny. It will destroy you. But pride only exists. This kind of pride we're talking about tonight only exists when you're comparing yourself to someone else like the Pharisee does. And our solution is so easy. We must compare ourselves only to God. Lewis, in that chapter, he says it this way, that in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you will not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. It's a cool picture. We must see God as he is. 
We must see God, as Lewis says, as immeasurably superior to us in every way. If we are to be humble people, we must compare ourselves only to God. We say it this way, that humility is a sober sense of reality. It's a sober sense of what's actually true. And what's actually true is that you and I make terrible judges. We don't have the knowledge to make the judgment call of ourself or of other people. That's why that's not our job to do that. It's God's job. But we can be honest when we come to God. And Tim Keller articulates it this way. This is how we have humility. This is how we can have a sober sense of reality is because of this truth. He says at the same time, in one same moment, we are more wicked than we ever dared believe and we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. You guys realize that. At the same time, right now, if you're surrendered to Jesus, you love Jesus, both of those things are equally true about you and about me. That I am more wicked than I could ever dare dream of. I am. I'm more selfish. I'm capable of worse than I would even think I would be. And you are too. The Bible says that in Romans 5, while we were sinners in this state, Christ died for us. Jesus We can't even dream of how wicked we actually are, but Jesus knows. And you know what he did about it? He died on a cross to save us from it. Isn't that incredible? So don't be afraid of your lowly state. Don't be afraid of your brokenness. Don't be afraid of it. Offer it to Jesus. Because he's already paid the price to take it. That's the good news. Isn't that incredible? It wasn't your your biography of a good person that saves you. It's the opposite. It's coming to God honestly like the tax collector and pleading with God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Lewis ends his chapter with this. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, hopefully that's all of us. He says, the first step is to realize that you are proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Since you want to know a litmus test if you're really prideful, do you think you're not prideful? <laughs> then you definitely are. <laughs> oh man, I laugh because it's scary. <laughs> that kind of scares me. <laughs> but it's true. I know that it's true. That those truths are same in the moment. When you, when you submit your life to Jesus, both of those things are true. <laughs> you're still a sinner. You're still a wicked sinner. And you still don't deserve what Jesus has done for you. That's why it's mercy. That's why it's grace. (laughs) But it only comes when we lay down that biography. Whatever it is that you have. Whatever you would come to God and say, I'm pretty good. Look at all these reasons. That has to be laid down. That has to be crucified with Jesus. He's already paid for it to be. That's the beauty. You don't have to sacrifice an animal. You don't have to pay me any money. You don't have to come here and do backflips. Like, you don't have to do any of that. (laughs) But you have to repent. We have to give up those things. We have to lay those things down. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of them.
if there's staff who are here, if y'all aren't back there, would you guys come up? Um, just find a place in the altar. I think there's something powerful about confessing things out loud with our mouths. Um, we don't have to do it. Um, there's nothing special about them that's not special about you. Um, you love Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, so they don't have like a magical potion or like they're like hooked up with mics or anything. But I asked them to be up here to be ready to pray with you for anything, for what may be on your mind from this. If you realize the pride in your life and you need to confess it, please, while we're worshiping for these songs, ask them for prayer or ask one another for prayer. Worship is not a time to just only be alone and solemn with God, but God receives glory when we love each other. If y'all remember that, He receives glory. He's pleased when we love each other. So don't feel like I've got to stay seated. I've got to close my eyes. I can't get up and move. No. If you've got something on your heart, talk to somebody. Talk to God with them together. Ask one of these for prayer. And let's be honest with God. Can we do that? That's my plea with you. If you need to get right with Jesus, you want to surrender your life to Jesus, or you just need to repent of something that's in you. You've been walking with Jesus, but you see a pride in you that you didn't see before, and you need to get rid of it. Whatever it may be, let's be honest with God because he already knows. Is that cool? We love you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for everybody in here. Thank you that you've been speaking. Would you give us the courage to respond the way you want us to and to be honest with you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Altars are open. Whenever you're ready. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Texas Tech Chi Alpha. For more information, you can visit our website at ttuxa.org.